Welcome to the latest Fundspan podcast. I'm Kyle Caldwell, your host and collectives editor at Interactive Investor. As usual, we have a fund manager interview in the middle section of the podcast. I chatted to Jonathan Brown, fund manager of the Invesco Perpetual UK Smaller Companies Investment Trust. It's a timely interview, given that there are some early signs that investors are starting to return to the UK market, which has been long out of favour due to Brexit uncertainty and then uncertainty over the COVID-19 pandemic. At the end of the podcast is our fun spotlight feature. For this episode, it's Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Fund Research at Interactive Investor. Well, firstly, I'm joined by my colleague, Tom Bailey, ETF's editor at Interactive Investor, to chat through a couple of fund and trust news stories. Tom, let's start off with UK funds. There's some interesting data from Callistone, the global funds network, that found that in February, investors slowly started to dip their toes back into UK waters. While it wasn't a huge amount of inflows in fund terms of 145 million, it is potentially significant. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It kind of looks like it might be the start of a reversal of sentiment towards the UK market, as listeners will know. For the past few years, you know, international and domestic investors have been quite negative about UK stocks. You know, survey after survey of fund managers show that underweight UK stocks. Uh, meanwhile, you can see all the outflow of, um, from UK fund data, and, and it's not it's not looked good for the past few years. And obviously, driving this, the main thing really has been Brexit, particularly the risk of no deal. Um, but then obviously, the fears were then compounded again. In 2020, with the pandemic, because the UK's response was seen as kind of uh, one of the one of the worst internationally, resulting in potentially higher cases and therefore a stricter and, and longer lockdown, which is never good for the economy. Yeah, that's a good summary, Tom. And in addition to those points you've made, the um, composition of the UK market has not helped. The UK market has a large share of um, economically sensitive sectors. But this actually could now be viewed as a positive at the moment, as these types of shares those that are more cyclical are expected to benefit from the potential reflation trade. Yes, yes. So kind of since around November, when the success of several vaccines uh, was announced, uh, there's there's been this kind of return to value stocks, um, and value stocks are also usually cyclical stocks, meaning they perform better when the economy's prospects are picking up. So obviously, the idea is that you know vaccine rollouts around the world will mean that uh, economies can open up and we can get back to something looking like normal life soon, which is going to be good for the economy. But then the other side to that is that growth and particularly tech stocks have started to do worse over the last few months uh, related to this because growth stocks supposedly do well in a low and slow economic growth environment. So obviously, if we're going to see uh, some strong economic data coming out over the next year or so. More importantly, though, this kind of uptick in economic growth is expected to uh, increase inflation. At least that's what kind of the bond market is signaling with uh, higher yields, uh, particularly in U.S. Treasuries. And higher inflation and, and resulting higher interest rates are generally seen as not very good for growth and tech stocks. So the past 10 years, growth stocks performance has uh, far outpaced value stocks. Now it seems that kind of that might be reversing. Often you see it referred to as a, as a rotation in markets. The UK market may be a winner of this as a FTSE is notoriously lacking in growth and tech. And that's hurt over the past few years. But it is full of cyclical and value stocks such as energy and banks, which could then kind of benefit from this. Uh, of course, though, there's also losers. So notably, the UK's largest investment trust, Scottish Mortgage, has seen its share price struggle lately because its portfolio is full of these sort of growth and tech stocks that have done very well the last 10 years. But now with this kind of maybe return to value, they're starting to, starting to struggle. 
Yes, that's right. It's been a uh, bumpy ride for shareholders in Scottish Mortgage over the past month, uh, including myself. At the time of this recording, the share price is down around 15% over the past month. And as you mentioned there, Tom, it's been caught up in the technology sell-off that has been taking place, um, in particular since mid-February. And this is due to Scottish Mortgage's focus on disruptive companies that have a technological edge over competitors. Numus, the investment trust analyst, has also argued that concerns over the valuation of Scottish Mortgage's unlisted holdings has also played a part in the volatility. You're not that surprised that you're seeing a kind of a bit of a bumpy ride right now. You can't have expected all the all the good performance in the last few years to not come with uh, some some sharp drawdowns occasionally when when sentiment changes. Yeah, that's right. Not at all. Um, you know, this is. I think it, it serves as a reminder that this isn't a venturous option for investors. You know, when I when I invested in the trust, um, first time I invested was in 2013, and I knew back then that I had to put my seatbelt on and strap myself in for the long term. Um, and you know, when I first invested, I intended to invest for at least five to uh, ten years. And, um, and as a result of its um, strong performance, it's you know it's the biggest holding in my stocks and shares ISA, and it is my most successful investments. I've met the fund manager, James Anderson, a couple of times during my career, and he really impressed me. When interviewing fund managers, um, an ex-colleague of mine at The Telegraph, Richard Evans, he likened it to fund manager speed dating. Fund managers can be very compelling when you meet them face to face, and you can get back to the office after meeting them at lunch and think, I want to invest straight away. With Scottish Mortgage, um, after I um, met the manager James Anderson. I, I, I really liked how the trust invests in various super trends that are changing the world, and I just like the way the way he thinks. Really, that was the main reason why I invested in Scottish Mortgage. I agree. He is like when when he speaks, he's very compelling. But also, he doesn't come across as a salesman. As, as kind of the risk with that kind of approach is sometimes you know you can think is it because the you know, finance is very charismatic. He's compelling, but also seems very intellectual. Yes, I totally agree. And I also like the fact that Tom Slater is another fund manager um, on Scottish Mortgage. There isn't an element of key man risk, as there is the case with um, other funds that are that are just run by one fund manager. Um, Scottish Mortgage has two. Sticking with investment trusts, there was a couple of uh, dividend hero trusts that reported annual results um, earlier this month. And there was good news for income investors as dividends were increased. Tom, you covered FNC Investment Trust and Murray International, both of which are members of Interactive Investors Super 60 list. FNC announced its this final year dividend uh, would be 12, just over 12.1p per share. So if approved by shareholders, that would represent a 4.3% increase prior to the last year's dividend. So that would uh, mean the trust has now increased its dividend every year for 50 years in a row. So that's quite significant. Uh, for anyone wondering how was the FNCs managed to increase their dividend um, for the financial year end in 2020, when obviously it's such a bad year for dividend payments overall, was because of this kind of unique feature of investment trust where they can hold back dividend payments from companies they own in, in the good years in, in their revenue reserves uh, and keep these to pay dividends in, in, in bad years like last year was. Um, it's a similar situation for Murray International. It announced a, a final dividend for the year for 54.5p per share. Um, that's just, just under 2% increase from the previous year. Uh, and that will be the 16th year in a row the trust has, has upped its um, annual dividend per share. 
Uh, so not quite as much as FNC, but still relatively impressive. Um, and again, it has drawn on its revenue reserves to do this. There was also good news for shareholders in Alliance Trust and Witten, which both increased dividends. Both dipped into their reserves to raise their dividends. Alliance Trust has now increased dividends for 54 years in a row, whilst while Witten has upped payouts for 46 consecutive years. Our fund manager interview for this episode is Jonathan Brown, fund manager of the Invesco Perpetual UK Smaller Companies Investment Trust. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I wanted to find out your outlook for the UK market. It has, for the last couple of years, been an unloved market with both domestic and international investors shying away. With the vaccine rollout and the Brexit deal at the end of last year, is investor sentiment starting to improve or are investors waiting until the UK finds its way out of the pandemic? Yeah, I think I think you've picked out the two main factors there that um, have led uh, investors to, particularly international investors, to, to shun the UK over the last few years. And the data we look at suggests that there was a real divergence in performance of the UK market versus overseas markets around the time of the Brexit referendum. So I think I think there has been a lot of concern about that. Now, we think the fact we've signed a deal uh, and the businesses we've spoken to uh, suggest that the deal is good enough for them means that I think uh, we'll see a pickup in business confidence. And we ought to see that reflected in uh, the confidence of investors in the UK as well. I think the facts were ahead in terms of the vaccine rollout is another positive. Um, it feels like we're going to come out of this crisis ahead of most other countries. Um, so I think I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about sentiment towards the UK market. Also, I think economic growth in the second half could be better than a lot of people are expecting. And, and there's various reasons for that. Um, obviously, improved confidence because we've got the Brexit deal, the exit from COVID. But also, when we look at consumer balance sheets, um, the savings rates gone up through the crisis. Most people have managed to hang on to their jobs, thankfully. And people have spent less on, on things like holidays and leisure, et cetera. Um, so it feels like there's a lot of pent up demands that could come through in the second half of this year. So we, th we think things could uh, surprise on, on the upside uh, in H2, which, um, again, should, should lead to a lot more interest in, in the UK as, a, as an investable market. And the Invesco Perpetual UK Smaller Companies Investment Trust invests in small and medium sized UK companies. Could you summarise your investment style and the sorts of qualities that you like to see in a business? We're best described as growth at a reasonable price. So we like to buy into good quality growing businesses, uh, given the capital they need to, to grow their company. But uh, we're also very valuation conscious. So, I mean, one of the things we saw last year was a lot of the technology names trading at very high valuations. So we're always keen to take profits in businesses when they have very strong runs like that and then redeploy the capital into other good quality businesses that have, have maybe been uh, left behind. Um, so the focus for us is, is trying to find companies that have good profit margins, uh, good return on capital, and then some means of uh, maintaining their competitive position over the longer term. And this is things like having a very high market share in their particular niche or it could be uh, intellectual property or specialist know-how. 
or it could be things like very strong brands and where you find businesses with these kind of barriers to entry it means that uh, they can they can continue to earn really good profits without them being uh, eroded by incoming competition who, who spot the opportunity so they're the kind of things we look for in terms of growth prospects I mean, the way, way we tend to term it is we're looking for companies that could double on a five-year view which would obviously mean they're growing well in excess of of the uh, the wider uh, uk economy there's much talk at the moment of the potential reflation trade, which in theory would benefit businesses that are more cyclical or economically sensitive. Are you positioning to potentially profit from this? And notice that um, the portfolio has just over a third of its assets in industrials, which is considered a uh, cyclical sector. Well, I guess we started positioning for this towards the start of the, the pandemic, actually. We found there were a lot of businesses that we'd like the look of, but had been overvalued historically, suddenly became uh, really quite attractively valued in the, in the sell-off in, in March last year. Um, so we added uh, quite a few new businesses uh, to the portfolio at that time. And some of them were uh, cyclical, such as some of the pub groups like Mitchell's and Butler's, Fuller's, et cetera. So we, we added some of those holdings to the portfolio. We, we bought things like Jim Group, uh, Grafton, which is a builder's merchant which were trading at incredibly low valuations early last year. And then when we got more confidence about the timeline for uh, a potential vaccine, uh, we, we added to a number of other holdings within the cyclical sectors. And, and some of these were industrial businesses, some of these were, were, were leisure sector businesses, uh, and some of them were, were in the retail sector. We felt that the likelihood of, of a vaccine being launched at some point in the fourth quarter last year was quite high. Um, so we were very keen to position ahead of that. And what we've seen since then is quite a few of these businesses performing, or well, the share prices certainly performing really quite strongly. We see upside in, in quite a few of these things still. We, see, we think some of them are still 20 to 30% undervalued, uh, you know, when you look at historic levels of, of profitability. But some of them have run really quite hard. So, for example, we've been taking profits in, in one or two of the uh, pub companies that um, uh, don't really look cheap by historical standards anymore. Um, so we do see it as a strong trend. And I think, you know, as much as anything, I think people are keen to get out and do the things that have been unable to do over the uh, uh, preceding uh, year. Um, so we, we think a lot of the travel and leisure businesses could perform quite strongly in the second half. And in terms of performance, um, the past year has obviously been a challenging period. But over longer time periods, um, the trust has comfortably outpaced its benchmark, which is the numerous small companies X investment companies index. In terms of the five-year performance numbers, while you've outperformed the index, is it frustrating that the trust's share price has risen less than the value of the trust's underlying investments? It is, yes. The discount has widened over uh, particularly the last year. And that's partly down to um, the disruption we saw around COVID-19. There is a perception that smaller companies are a bit riskier than uh, the wider market. We think if you take a good portfolio approach and invest in good businesses, that's not necessarily the case, but um, nonetheless, that's, that's the perception. So it is a little bit frustrating, but I mean, we see that as an opportunity as well. Uh, the discount uh, currently is kind of 13, 14%, roughly around around that uh, that mark. And prior to that, it had been, you know, around 5% for, for a number of years. So we, you know, we hope that um, as investors gain more confidence in the recovery, we could see that discount to uh, the NAV of the, of the trust 
narrowing, which um, if that does happen, that would be uh, would be quite positive for the uh, share price. And finally, um, I wanted to ask about the dividends. Um, the trust pays a dividend, um, which is not always the case for a trust that invests in medium-sized and small, smaller-sized UK businesses. Around a year ago, in response to the pandemic, the 4% target yield was removed. So what sort of level of income should shareholders expect this year and going forward for the next couple of years? Historically, we've, we've paid what we call uh, an augmented dividend yield. So it's all the dividends from the portfolio plus a small payment out of capital to produce a, a yield that's higher than the, the market average. Obviously, in the depth of the pandemic, the boards were concerned by dividend cuts in the market, which I think is, is fair enough. I mean, they are looking at, at the dividend policy again, and when the annual report for the trust is published next month, uh, they'll, they'll make an announcement about uh, their intentions about the dividend as we, as we move forward. But we, I mean, we've seen, thankfully, in the market, we're seeing a lot of companies reintroduce dividends, so that, that should be supportive of the yield in the portfolio. For our latest fund spotlight, it is the turn of Dmitry Lipsky, Head of Fund Research at Interactive Investor. Dmitry, you've chosen to focus on capital gearing. Could you firstly run through how the investment trust invests? Yeah, so Capital Gearing Trust has two objectives, to preserve capital over um, a 12-month uh, rolling period and at the same time to deliver returns well in excess of inflation over the longer term. It, it, it aims to achieve its uh, objectives through a long-only multi-asset portfolio of uh, bonds, equities, and property with small holdings in alternatives such as infrastructure, or gold, or cash. Rather than using exotic strategies or derivatives, the trust approach to avoiding drawdowns and protect uh, the capital has been to hold a highly diversified portfolio of various assets with some of the some of them negatively correlated to risk assets so for this purpose uh, the team currently use index linked government bonds and also a gold and safe haven currencies and in terms of where the trust is currently investing could you give a couple of stock examples or sectors that it's favoring so the trust is, uh, is is very simple in its structure and it's very flexible in its asset allocation with the manager only investing where he sees value and can also invest in other, other funds. Around 50% of the portfolio is invested in funds equities. So for example, one of the largest core equity holdings, Perishing Square and Treetax Big Box, and securities that significantly outperformed their benchmark last year. At the same time, Portfolio has a big emphasis on U.S. Treasury inflation-protected securities or uh, government bonds. Such bonds offer protection where stock market fall, as well as providing a shield against inflation. Inflation is at low levels, but the manager believes it will elevate in the years to come, in part due to the huge government a stimulus that has taken place in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And finally, Dimitri, why do we think that this trust stands out from the crowd? One of the key strengths of the trust is that it's, it's managed by a highly regarded investor, Peter Spieler, uh, since 1982. 
and has delivered positive total return in 37 out of 38 years. Also under his tenure, the trust has been a great preserver of wealth in the bear markets, including the dot-com crash and global financial crisis. And, and most recently during the market sell-off in 2018 and 2020. Another thing which is worth to mention here is the trust adopted a zero discount policy in 2015 to ensure the price of shares in the trust traded as close as possible to the underlying net asset value. And, and the policy has contributed towards the substantial growth of the trust in the recent years. And our view is that the trust is a very good fit as a co-holding due to its defensive stance and the high level of diversification and should appeal to a, I would say, conservative investor with a long-term horizon. And in addition, the trust would complement the other funds and trust with more adventurous risk profiles. Thank you, Dimitri. And as you mentioned, um, a big focus for the trust at the moment is preparing for a potentially higher inflationary environment. So this could be one way for investors to add some inflation proofing and protection to their portfolios. That's all for this episode. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Thank you to all of my guests. Please like and subscribe. And of course, you can find lots more investment insights and ideas at ii.co.uk. We'll be back in early April.